Well, this week we are going to continue in our series through the book of Luke. I should, uh, we should take some, some bets on how many times I'm going to say those words uh, over the next year. We're moving very slowly through the book, uh, but it has been a very rich uh, journey through so far. and I'm really excited to continue it. Um, today we're going to be reading from Luke 7, 11 through 17. Before we get into the scriptures, um, I, I had the best job that I ever had when I was 16 years old. Top two jobs, because it paid terribly. But everything else about the job was fantastic. When I was 16, I worked at Burger King after school. Uh, the Burger King on, on Tyson's Lane, right by Newdorp. So I'd get out of school, go down to Burger King afterwards, have two uh, cheeseburgers, with an apple pie and a cherry Coke every day uh, after school, right before I started my ship, which is insane thinking about it now. If I did that for two days in a row now, I'd be down for the count for the rest of the week. Uh, but it was a great job because I just worked there with a bunch of my homies. Uh, it was a group of us who were friends, uh, who were all from, from Stapleton, Park Hill area. The assistant manager was from Stapleton. Uh, and we just had a great time every day at work. We were terrible employees. We did a terrible job. It was not a Burger King that you should go to, but we were having a great time. With the exception of, of one of our coworkers who was in a very different life situation than us, we were working because uh, we wanted to buy sneakers. And so our paychecks would go straight to Foot Locker and we'd buy Jordans and, and that, was, that was our cycle. But we had a, a coworker who, who needed the job, who took the job very seriously. She was a little bit older than us, but her life situation was just completely different. And so she tried to do her job really, really well, which made her an outlier in that store, at least. Um, and I remember this one day, this customer comes back up to the counter. He had already gotten his food, uh, and he is flipping out, like, like just under screaming because there wasn't enough mayonnaise on his sandwich. He had asked for extra mayonnaise. Apparently, the amount of mayonnaise on his sandwich was not sufficient, and so he was very angry about that. Instead of just saying, hey, can I have some extra mayonnaise? He's screaming and making a whole scene uh, and making the situation very uncomfortable. I look over, and I see this coworker who cares about her job, uh, and she looks devastated, on the verge of tears. She was the one who had made the sandwich, and just the idea that she had messed up a customer's order was, was really messing with her. If it was any of the rest of us, we would have laughed it off and not cared at all. But like I said, she really cared about her job. And so seeing her like that, I just felt incredibly bad for her. I felt a ton of compassion. And I told her, I'll remake the sandwich. Don't worry about it. Like, you know, take five, get yourself together. And so I grabbed the sandwich from the customer. Uh, and in sight of the customer in the kitchen... I open it up and I just start globbing wild amounts of mayonnaise onto this sandwich. Uh, just more mayonnaise than should be in 15 sandwiches was on this. This sandwich was 70% mayonnaise, at least. Like he could have went home and saved the rest of the mayonnaise for sandwiches for the rest of the week. I just put a massive amount of mayonnaise on his sandwich, brought it back to him, and just stood there and watched him while he opened it up, which it was barely closed because it was full of mayonnaise. I couldn't get, I remember I couldn't get the wrapper closed, right? Um, and he looked at it, and he looked at me, and he decided to take an L 
and walk away with his mayonnaise sandwich. Uh, this was 16-year-old me's version of justice. This is what I thought this man deserved uh, at that time. It could have been worse. The moral of the story is twofold. The first is, don't be rude to the people working with your food. Just, you have nothing to gain there. You're always going to take an L. Be very polite to your servers and waiters. Uh, <laughs> I see some finger pointing in the crowd. I've got some stories that'll turn you right around if you have trouble with it. Um, <laughs> but the second is that when, when compassion and, and, and the power to do something about a situation are combined, Right? Like that becomes a very good situation. I had compassion for her. I felt bad for how she was feeling and, and how she was being treated. And I was able to do something to help remedy, right? Maybe not solve the whole thing, uh, but I was able to relieve some of the pressure in that moment. And that felt like a really good thing to do. Felt like the right thing to do. Um, just as a person, as a Christian, felt like what I should be doing. But I've also been in situations many times where it's been the opposite where I might be full of compassion uh, for somebody because of a situation, but be completely powerless to change it, completely powerless to do anything. Has anybody ever been in a situation like that? Right? Maybe you know somebody who lost a job and is having trouble making ends meet, but you having trouble making ends meet, and so you can't, you can't provide any relief for them there. Right? Or, or uh, maybe you know somebody who lost a loved one and is going through grief and pain, and all you can do is offer your comfort, but there's nothing that can be done to make that situation better, right? For me, it makes me think of, uh, of being a dad. My, my middle daughter had terrible asthma attacks growing up, and one of the most helpless feelings I, I've ever had in my life is holding my two-year-old daughter while she gasped for air would have given anything. I'd have given her a lung if it would have made her breathe better, but there was just absolutely nothing I could do in the situation to help her, right? So compassion is always a good thing, but the result of having compassion and power is very different than the result of just having compassion. And so today as we read through Luke 7, 11 through 17, um, we're going to look at Jesus and we're going to see how he holds these two attributes of compassionate and powerful together, and how when we understand that and when we're able to view him with these attributes in a proper way, uh, we're going to look at that the massive effect that should have on our day-to-day -day lives. And so with that said, uh, you can grab your service sheet or your phone or your physical Bible if you have one, and turn to Luke 7, 11 through 17. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bear, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and the surrounding country. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how the scripture instructs us and leads us and comforts us and strengthens us. Uh, we ask that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word and all that you have to say to us today. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. And so here we have a wild scene. Jesus stumbles upon a funeral and mid-funeral calls a man out of the casket. And so as we, as we begin to look through this, I, I want us to pull out a, a, a few points from this. And the first point is that Jesus is motivated by compassion. I know it sounds like a no-brainer, but let's think for a second about the widow's circumstance, about the circumstance the widow uh, whose son was brought back to life was in. Right? So what do we know about her? We know that she just lost her only son. Losing any child is, is a terrible grief. Right? We all accept the fact that we're going to die one day, but the assumption is our kids are going to die after us. Right? We never expect our, our children to die before us, and when it happens, it's a shock and it's painful and it is full of grief. But not only did she lose her son, at some point in her life, she lost her husband because she was a widow. And so not only was her son dead, but likely her, her husband was dead as well. And at some point, she had to bury her husband. And so she's already faced a terrible loss. She's just having a very difficult lot in life. She's in a very difficult circumstance. So she lost her son and her husband, which meant for her as a widow, her position in society was going to be a very difficult one, right? There was no upward mobility for single women in her time. She couldn't go back to school and get a job, you know, get a degree and get a job and provide for herself. What it meant was that she was going to be uh, resigned to a life of poverty. She was going to have to live off the generosity of others. She was going to live a poor life. And so as a widow... Having a son would be the only redeeming quality of your life because it meant that you would have somebody to take care of you and provide for you. But now she's just lost that as well. And so this isn't just grief. This is an unbearable grief that's undergirded by the knowledge that the rest of her life will be lonely and difficult. And this is the person that Jesus stumbles upon as he's walking with his disciples. As he's walking into this next town, this is the person who Jesus sees. And what does he do? He intervenes. He steps in. But before we talk about the importance of how he intervened, I want to spend some time to talk about why he intervened. Jesus intervenes motivated only by compassion. He sees the widow grieving, sobbing, probably wailing. He understands her predicament, understands her lot in life. And it says that he feels great compassion for her. We don't know anything else about this widow. We don't know if she was God-fearing or not. We don't know if she was a good person or a bad person. 
We don't know if she lived a life that would be deserving of a miracle or not. And Luke doesn't tell us any of that because none of that actually matters. All that matters is that Jesus saw her and had compassion on her. This miracle isn't stemmed from her, but it's stemmed from the compassion that Jesus has for people. And if we don't understand this, if we don't see Jesus first and foremost as a compassionate Savior, then we can't properly understand the gospel. We can't properly see who God is without understanding him first as compassionate. If we miss this part of Jesus, we get a very skewed perception of God. If you don't see Jesus as compassionate first, then you might see a God who's a vindictive egomaniac who just needs to have control, who needs to have things his way. Or you might see a transactional God that you make a deal with, that you're on even, even terms with, where if I'm good enough, you will bless me. If I do good enough, you will love me. If I'm good enough, then you will save me. Or you might see a God who's just a list of rules set to stifle and burden you. But the truth is that God is here and he intervened and he continues to intervene only because he is compassionate towards you. He sees your life and your burdens and your struggles. He sees the situation that you've been placed in just like the widow. He knows that there's no way you can pull yourself up out of the hole that you find yourself in. And he comes to intervene only because of his compassion for you. And when you see Jesus this way, then what you see is a God who is full of love and full of mercy and full of grace. What we see when we see Jesus this way is we see a God who doesn't compel me to worship just by decree or just by demand, but he compels me to worship by his great grace and mercy towards me. Scripture says it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so we have to understand that Jesus first is a compassionate God who is compassionate towards us. And that in itself is worth celebrating. That in itself is, is, an, is, is a glorious gift, is, is an unmatchable gift that we have in our God. But that's not the end of his attributes. He's not just compassionate with no power to help you, with no power to intervene in your life. And he's not just compassionate with limited power in certain areas of your life. But the truth is that Jesus is compassionate and he's also Lord over death itself. Let's think about death for a second. Why is it important that Jesus is Lord over death? Well, death is the universal rule. Death is the one thing that all of us in this room have in common no matter what. If we're born, then we're going to die. And over thousands of years, we've made advances in science and in medicine, and we've uh, ex expanded life expectancies and diseases that would have wiped out an entire population two generations ago are not even a problem now. 
right? Diseases that would have meant, meant quick and instant, almost instant death one generation ago. You can live a full, meaningful life with now. We've made all these advancements. We've found all these cures, but we can't find a cure for death, nor will we ever. And here Jesus comes and almost casually reverses death. He stumbles upon this funeral and mid-funeral stops it and calls this man out of his casket. Can you imagine what was going through the minds of the people in that funeral party? Now, I know somebody who was technically dead, clinically dead. They might be in this room, but they might not. I know somebody who at one point was clinically, clinically dead and, and was, was revived and brought back to life. And that's an incredible thing. And even me knowing that, if I saw Jesus today walk into a funeral and call somebody out of the casket, my mind would break. It would implode trying to figure out a logical explanation for what was going on. But Jesus does it casually. He doesn't break a sweat. He's not in there yelling and screaming. He's not doing a, a whole ceremony and a whole ritual. He walks up, he tops them, and he says, arise. And that's it. Casually, he reverses death. In this moment, Jesus shows us that he has power over death itself. And this is important because Jesus isn't just compassionate without power to do anything. He is both compassionate and powerful. Here is Jesus reverses death itself. He makes a statement. Loud and clear, there is nothing under creation that is not subjected to his own power. Because if he could reverse the most permanent and universal human experience, then what of your situation, what problems in your life are out of the reach of God's compassion and power? Absolutely none. No situation and no bill and no sickness, and no relationship, and no job, and no paycheck. Nothing is outside of the reach of Jesus' compassionate hand. And no situation is not subject to his power. And so here we have two attributes of Jesus, two attributes of God. His compassion, his great compassion towards us, and his great power. And what that means for our lives, when we understand, when we can hold these two attributes of God in front of us at all times, it should drastically change the way you approach your life. What it means for us is that we can trust Jesus with our lives. If Jesus is more powerful than death, and he's compassionate towards me, he cares about me, he loves me, then that changes how I approach every situation I find myself in. God cares about me, and he's concerned with my life, and he has the power to overcome anything troubling me. And so I need not fear, I need not worry, I need not be anxious, I need not be scared. Now, if God was a distant and unconcerned God, this would be a very hard posture to take. 
But when we know that he's both compassionate and powerful, it switches the whole dynamic. And there's two important aspects to trusting God with our lives. There's two important parts of our lives that I mean when I say that. First, I mean that we can trust him with our lives on earth, with this life, the life we're living today. It's pretty incredible that Jesus, before he, he, before he revives this man, he walks up to the widow and tells her to stop crying. Can you imagine the people around him, around her, the people who were within earshot, this woman wailing and crying as she should be? And Jesus doesn't make any explanation of why she should stop crying. He just says, stop crying. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he wasn't aloof to the situation. He knew the situation much deeper than anybody else could have known it. And so he also knew that the widow's sorrow was about to be turned into joy. See, this is why the Bible is full of verses that seem impossible to comprehend, impossible to live out. Verses like, in all this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Or like we also glory in our sufferings. Or therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Or like count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That doesn't make sense. Why can we take this posture? We can take this posture because we serve a God that is compassionate and powerful. Now, what I don't mean is that God is going to make your life easy. This is not your name and claim and service. I don't mean that God is going to take every bad situation you have and eventually turn it around so it feels like a good situation. That's not what I mean. But what I mean is we can trust him to be completely in control of our lives. Why? We've been reading the, the catechism together as part of our, our daily Bible reading plan as a church. And one of the catechisms I hope we get far enough to cover, uh, one of my favorite questions, the answer paraphrase is that because I know God is a loving father and in control of all things, then no matter what comes my way, I can be sure that it wasn't by accident, but by the hand of my loving father. Why? Because he is compassionate towards us. He loves us. He is our father. And I know that any situation in my life could easily be reversed. Should he so please to reverse it? And this is where I think we, we, we get it so wrong often. This is where I think we've, we've kind of we've been deceived. We've been looking at God from a, a skewed angle because it's easy for us to say we trust him with our lives when our lives are going good. Right? It's easy when things are going well to say, praise God, he is good and compassionate. 
But that posture tends to quickly crumble when the slightest amount of opposition comes our way. I don't know if I'm alone in this. But let me have a bad two days at work. And I start to question, God, what's going on? Where you at? My kids are sick again. We just did a month and a half of cycling through sicknesses. You better believe last night I was like, God, I don't know if I could do this. Why is this happening again? Any type of opposition quickly changes our posture before God. But you know what's wild to me? In, in the verses that we just read, like this one from 1 Peter, and all this greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. He wasn't talking about a bad week at work. He was talking about persecution and martyrdom. He was writing to Christians who were being killed. Not Christians who, who, who had a cold for three days and are like, I can't take it. How in the world was he able to tell them with a straight face, have joy? Though now for a little while, he like belittles what's going on. We can only have that type of posture when we understand that God is compassionate towards us and he is also more powerful than anything else. And so if God in his compassionate love would choose to remove this situation from me, then praise him for it because he has the power to do it. But if God in his compassionate love would choose to let the situation remain, then praise him for it. He has the power to keep me. And so anything that comes to my life, I can trust beyond a shadow of a doubt that if it is here, if God has brought it, if God has allowed it, then it is ultimately for my good and his glory. That doesn't mean it's going to feel good in it, but it means I can stand firm in it. It means I don't have to crumble in it. It means my faith doesn't get washed away in it. It means that I'm like the tree in Psalm 1, planted by streams of living water, bearing fruit in every season. When we understand that God is compassionate and powerful, we can take this posture towards him. But it's not only this life. God's compassion and power mean that I can trust him with my eternal life. See, there's far deeper implications to who Jesus is than what I experience on earth. See, just like Jesus saw the widow broken and grieving and hopeless and had compassion on her, Jesus sees us broken and grieving and hopeless and he has compassion on us. And just like he raised her only son from the dead, Jesus, as God's only begotten son, would allow himself to experience death and be raised from the dead so that we could be saved from the situation we are in. And just like Jesus saved the widow from a bitter and sorrowful future, 
So he saves us from a bitter and sorrowful eternity. See, beloved, too often we view trials and suffering as God being absent or being unconcerned or being vindictive or being aloof. But never forget that we serve a God who is full of compassion towards us. And one day, all of our sorrows will be no more. Jesus isn't only our hope and security in this life. He's our hope and security in the next. He doesn't only care for us in this life, but he cares for us in the next. He doesn't only provide for us on this side of eternity, but he provides for us forever. And so as we close, Julia and Joel make their way back up. Beloved, whatever your life looks like today, whatever situations you find yourself in, allow me to encourage you with a reminder that we serve a God who is both full of compassion towards us and full of power. He will keep you in this life beyond a shadow of a doubt. And he made a way for us to be with him eternally in the next. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are both full of power, but also full of compassion for us. You need not a thing from us. You save us only because you love us. God, let these truths fill our hearts to overflowing. Let these truths be loud uh, in the face of persecution and trials. And let them be loud in the face of, of blessing and goodness from you. Help us to see you in this way, Jesus.